Welcome in to another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is across the way. Hello, hello, hello. Back from the opening. Uh, you are. I was. Uh, a little crispier than I was expecting, a little sunburned, but we got lots of information uh, gathered from the Oakland Regional. Uh, no invites went out to the opening finals for any Oregon commits, but Oregon did pick up a verbal commitment from four-star quarterback Jay Butterfield the day before the event started, so uh, we'll go into Butterfield's commitment, the impact that has, why that's big news for Oregon, and kind of what's next for the Ducks at that position group. Uh, we will go through kind of some notes and some uh, you know some opinions I've gotten uh, from the opening regional, and then last but not least, we'll wrap things up with a, uh, a kind of a recap, or not a recap, but a look ahead to uh, who we think are going to be maybe the, the all-purpose leaders for this football team in yards. Who's going to be the guy that's toting the rock the most oh boy. for Oregon in 2019? So, uh, good podcast on on today's show. Uh, first and foremost, go to DuckTerritory.com. Sign up for your, uh, a VIP membership. If you are not a VIP member, you can get 30 days for $1 uh, to our site. Your first 30 days could cost you $1. Uh, if you also want to sign up for an annual subscription, your first year uh, will be billed out to be $6.26 a month. That's just insane uh, value that you get from from subscribing to us at DuckTerritory.com. Uh, a ton of information is always on the site. We, we cover Oregon football year-round. We cover recruiting year-round. We cover men's basketball year-round, men's basketball recruiting year-round. And now Eric has picked up and oh, yeah. has got women's basketball coverage year-round and women's basketball recruiting year-round. So uh, we are more than just a one-talk shop with one specific identity or, or one topic or beat. We do it all at DuckTerritory.com, and you can read all that work for $1 a month or for an annual subscription of $6.26 a month if you do the annual route. So let's get to Butterfield's verbal commitment. Yeah. Uh, Friday, he announced on Twitter, we, we heard some inklings, we kind of uh, discussed on the site and on a podcast that things could move quickly uh, for, for Butterfield now that you know DJ Ugalele had, had gone to Clemson and you know, Butterfield was Oregon's kind of 1B option at the quarterback spot. He committed to the Ducks, and uh, this is a big get for Oregon. It's a humongous get. And we did talk last week on the podcast about this and about how this might feel like a consolation prize, but it really should. You look through Oregon's all-time quarterback commitments, and there's only two guys rated higher than Jay Butterfield um, that have ever committed to Oregon. That's Kellen Clemens and I believe Dennis Dixon. Um, and, and those are... Obviously, two really well-known quarterbacks who had long, successful careers at Oregon. And uh, you just kind of look at a guy like Jay Butterfield, and you go, man, we didn't get DJ, but we end up getting the third highest-rated quarterback prospect Oregon has ever signed. Uh, again, if that's a consolation prize, you take that every single yeah. day. And, and I think I think the timeliness of it was significant. I mean, you missed yeah. out on DJ, and within, what, a, week. a, little, about, a little bit over a week? Or less than a week, because he, yeah. he committed over uh, DJ committed on, on Sunday, Sunday, and he committed on, on a Friday. Friday. Yeah, so about five days to, to get your quarterback uh, for this class, you got that locked in now. It's a highly, highly rated guy. It's early on in the process. That's huge for building a class around a guy like this who, again, based upon his recruiting ranking, is going to be an attractive player um, for, I think, recruits looking at Oregon, especially some skill position guys. You know, Justin Herbert, obviously we know how good he is, but his time at Oregon is coming to a close. And now with Tyler Shuck and Jay Butterfield in the discussion, you're talking about two highly, highly, highly regarded quarterbacks that – um, you know, wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, you know, you name it, we'll have an opportunity to play with. And I'm looking at the all-time commitment list here in Butterfield. 
33rd highest rated player yeah. to ever commit to Oregon. So a significant addition, not just because of the position, but because this is a very, very, very good player. Yeah, this is a guy that if it was any other year, he's your clear-cut, Absolutely. definitive number one option at, at the quarterback spot. And um, I, one thing that's interesting, and I put this on Twitter uh, I think Saturday night, late Saturday night, as I was flying back home uh, from Oakland to Eugene. For some reason, I had to fly from Oakland to Seattle and then see oh, Seattle to, to Eugene. Great. Uh, didn't make a lot of sense on that one, but that's how I had to get home. Uh, so one of those layovers I had, uh, you look at the quarterbacks that Marcus Arroyo and Mario Cristobal have gone out and signed. Yeah. Tyler Shuck, Kale Millen. And now Jay Butterfield, the common theme among all three of those guys, in my opinion, is they are clear-cut pro-style quarterbacks. Absolutely. Uh, the, I think Kale is a very good athlete um, and is, is very mobile. He played receiver in high school his first two years, I think, before moving over to the quarterback position. He, he developed a little bit. Tyler Shuck has um, some mobility in him. Yeah. Not exactly certain if I think – Butterfield is, you know, like a Kale or or a, a Shuck. Um, he yeah. he can certainly move, but he, maybe he's not nearly as quick uh, as either of those two guys. But the thing is, they are legitimate pro style guys, and Oregon has kind of, I think you can safely say now, gone away from the dual threat quarterback, the guy who's a runner that could potentially throw the football. Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. And and I think that's probably for Oregon fans that have watched, obviously, Marcus Mariota, but Jeremiah Masoli before yeah. him, Dennis Dixon, Darren Thomas a little bit, but guys that were mobile and ran around, created some things with their legs, you're not going to see quite as much of this from this group. And I think you've already seen that transition with Justin Herbert to a certain extent. Obviously, we know he's a capable runner. We also know when he runs, he's got a history of injuries, and so he's not running very frequently. And I think you're seeing that more and more with this group. And a guy like Butterfield, you watch the tape and you go check it out, and he is effortless in how he throws the football. At least that's how it came across. You obviously, and I'll ask you about this in a second here, you got to see him in person this weekend, which is uh, you know even better than on tape. But I think he's six foot six, effortless. I think he's got a really lean frame, but looks yeah. like a frame that can put some weight on. I think he's somebody you have to be extremely excited about. And I'm going to write about this later on today. I don't know if this will be up before or after the podcast goes up, but... I think you now have legitimately an interesting quarterback battle setting up for 2020. Obviously, Justin Herbert's gone, but you have now three scholarship quarterbacks. Should Jay Butterfield um, stick with his commitment and sign, that would be positioning themselves for that spot. And three guys that are all highly rated, four-star recruits, like you said, similar in that they're all pro-style, but uh, also just a variety of skill sets. So I think, you know, I think if you're an Oregon fan, you feel pretty good about where this quarterback position is. I think certainly better than you did prior to spring camp when you had – Shuck, who hadn't seen, you hadn't seen really throw a pass. Millen, who's kind of an unknown, and then no recruit. Now you've got, at least Shuck, you feel like you've seen some stuff out of him. Butterfield's the third highest rated recruit. And Millen, uh, still a little bit of a wild card because we didn't see him too much in the spring, but a guy who, again, highly rated, highly regarded. A lot of talented quarterbacks now in that room. Butterfield, to me, reminds me a ton from a personality standpoint, from, I think, a skill standpoint, Justin Herbert. Yeah. I mean, he's he's very very tall. He's six six. Herbert is six five, six six. Right. Um, I think Justin is probably the better athlete between the two of them as like a pure runner. Sure. Um, but Butterfield, you know, he's he can move if if needed, um, and 
he's got a cannon of an arm. He's super smart. His football cerebral is, you know, really, really high. Uh, you know, you, you talk to people about him and it's, you know, you don't have to show him a couple times and he gets it. You know, very similar stuff to, to Justin Herbert. Um, so I, I don't, I'm not going to come out here and say that he's the next Justin Herbert, but I think, you know, the Ducks saw something in him, uh, and saw some of those similar traits, uh, that they have in Herbert with getting Butterfield. And so I think it's, it's, it's a big get. And I think it's also a clear sign that this staff, like, that's why I didn't really buy the Bryce Young yeah. five star stuff to you to Oregon, six foot quarterback, you know, yeah, Young is a good player and, you know, he, he's put up good passing stats, but he is the definition of a pro, you know, of a dual threat quarterback and, you know, the types of offensive linemen that Oregon's recruiting, uh, and has on the, on the roster right now and, you know, the other quarterbacks that they've gone after, it just didn't make it, it didn't fit. Is, is my biggest takeaway from there. Anything else that you saw from Butterfield that you think was notable that Oregon fan, like anything that stood out watching sure. him for an afternoon? His deep ball was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched him work on corner routes for about 20 minutes during the opening, and I don't think he threw one. Um, now, granted, he had to wait in line. He got one rep, you know, and and you have to wait about you know five minutes for his next one. Um, yeah, yeah. but you know, so he he maybe threw. I think he maybe threw the corner route maybe eight eight or nine times. Um. Seven, you know, somewhere in that range, and I, I don't think any of those passes were were poor throws. Um, his footwork was really good. His rollouts were really good. Um, he just he has all the tools to make every throw. That was my my biggest takeaway from watching him and the individual stuff. Um, and then, unfortunately, for whatever reason, I don't know what it was uh, when they went on to you know receiver versus DB with a quarterback throwing. Uh, he just kind of you know, pulled his, himself off to the side a little bit. Uh, he he participated early, and then you know eventually just kind of the reps started you know dwindling for him. So you didn't get a full feel for him there. But when he was throwing on air with a receiver, you know money passes, he was consistent. Um, the ball, you know, I hardly saw him throw a ball low or or too high for yeah. a receiver. And that's consistency, you know, and that's what you want at a quarterback is consistency. We we're talking about this pre, prior to the podcast, but I was looking at there there are five players that received invites yeah. to the actual opening from this event, and none of the five are likely to end up at Pac-12 schools. I thought yeah, that was notable. Me. Ohio State already has commitment from one. Notre Dame's got a commitment from another. Two of the other guys are basically looking at only SEC schools. Uh, Miles Morale, an offensive lineman, I think he may stay on the West Coast. Oregon Oregon has an offer has a there. Chance with yeah. him. But, I mean, you look at these guys, does that something that, that's something that really stood out to me, just kind of going like the five best guys from the Oakland Regional, maybe one stays in the Pac-12. That seems significant. It's not good. It doesn't seem positive for the direction the conference is going. What, what was your kind of takeaway, just kind of looking at, at kind of maybe maybe a lack of star power for the Pac-12 on the West Yeah, I mean, G. Scott, you it was tough finding a, a player that performed better than he did at, at the at receiver and anywhere else in that um was an absolute star mm-hmm. at, at the receiver position and he's going like you said he's going to Ohio State and he would help a lot for Oregon he would help a lot at UW he would help any, I mean, any school, any school yeah pick any any school in the Pac-12 and yeah you're right he he could help and he's not going to or- he's not going to go to a Pac-12 school um DJ obviously is going to Clemson and yeah, he was a, he was growing up a, 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 from a family of USC fans, and 
Now that's devastating for the Trojans because yeah. that is devastating for it was bad for Oregon because he you know, they had a chance there. Um, yeah, it it's for whatever reason you don't it, you don't see SEC area kids flocking out of no. that region to come to the Big Ten or to go to the ACC or the Pac-12 or the Big 12. But for whatever reason, you see West Coast kids now all of a sudden have this mindset of, I want to leave not just my state, I want to leave my region and go somewhere else. And that's, that is the Pac-12's issue. Right there. I don't, I don't know how you fix it. I was going to say, I think clearly that's not just an isolated, this is not an isolated incident now where you've got a couple of top guys. You're now seeing it. I think if you go back and look at the numbers, I think Kevin wrote a story last fall about the issues the conference was having keeping guys out west, and I forget what the number, but it was a bunch of the top guys were headed to the ACC and the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the SEC, and it just seems like you're now seeing that continue to be a trend, and I don't think this is a, a one-time thing. I think this is something that you're going to see for a while until the conference gets itself collected, uh, and I think that's just a, a disappointment, and, and I know that's not entirely Oregon's fault, I think that's largely USC's fault, a lot of these kids are from, you know, Southern California, and they're looking, not really taking a, too serious of a look at USC, and they're looking at other places, but that was something that stood out to me looking at it. Other things to you that stood out, was there a lack of, of star power in terms of, I know there's some guys that we were expecting to turn out that might not have Yeah, been. I was pretty disappointed and bummed to find out that, you know, kind of like a five-star cornerback. Keely Ringo wasn't there. That was, um, A, I wanted to talk to him about Oregon. He was at Oregon spring game, uh, just a couple weeks ago. And then, um, I wanted to see him stack up against, you know, some of the receivers. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to see how good he was. And I wanted to get a feel for Oregon's, you know, targets at receiver to yeah. see how, you know, they would stack up with, uh, against an elite cornerback. Uh, Jacoby Covington, another, oh, yeah. another cornerback from Arizona. That's a four star that Oregon's got an offer from. He didn't show up. He, you know, Elijah Badger. A four-star receiver that was at Oregon Spring Game. So, you know, there were there were a handful, small smalls, a five-star from um, Seattle that you know Oregon's basically them and Washington State, which is really weird, are the only two Pac-12 <laughs> schools uh, that made his what final ten or eight yeah, or whatever yeah. it was. Um, and and so I was hoping to talk to him, and we'll we'll get with him later on uh, in the next month or so. But yeah, there was just. It was a very. I thought it was very good in certain spots, um, and in other spots there was not a lot of talent. Like at linebacker, like Jordan Bethello was there, and he's committed to Notre Dame. And Oregon, one of the five guys that got invited. And Oregon's gonna, you know, they're gonna continue to recruit him, you know, significantly. They, you know, they value him, and they're not gonna give up until it's over. But you know, he was there. Um, there were a couple other linebackers that were decent, but you know. That group just lacked some star power. Um, Kendall Milton, the five-star running back, he was there, but he pulled out halfway through. I mean, he was there just to get his opening invite. Like, show up, go through the individual drills, and then once the skill stuff started, he pulled out. And uh, he backed off and didn't really compete much. Um, Sam Adams was there, but you know, he, he's not really looking at Oregon um, too hard anymore. And, yeah. and I, or I don't consider him really a... A, a guy that's going to land out of Oregon. Um, so yeah, it, it was weird. You had you had some star <coughs> power not show up, and then you had you know some surprises. And one of those is Sandry Mitberg, mm-hmm. uh, defensive end, outside linebacker from Beaverton High School, a guy that's still looking for his Pac-12 offer, and he worked out at the end and, and made the final five for the D line. Was a top five D lineman at the camp. 
won two out of his three reps uh, in the final five and performed really, really well. And he, he was at California for an unofficial visit, I believe, on Sunday. Uh, it's not going to surprise me if Mitberg shows up uh, to, to fall camp for Beaverton High School in, in August with three or four Pac-12 offers. Now the question becomes, is Oregon going to be one of those right. one of those schools? He was on campus uh, about a month ago to check out the Ducks, but right now I, I think he's going to be a guy that that maybe wasn't on Oregon's eval radar all that much to now fully being in that position of, okay, we now know we need to pay attention to this guy. We're not going to offer yet, but we now need to have him be in our regular list of communicating, be in our regular list of evals. Let's go over his film a second or a third or fourth time and see what we like, give him some feedback on things to improve upon and see if he can do those before we offer a scholarship. seems like given his size, what, 6'2", 225, he's an outside linebacker. I wonder with Oregon's, and again, we're going to talk about this throughout the summer probably, but is there really an outside linebacker position that Oregon's using or is it just right. purely the stud? And at that position, are you looking for somebody with a little bit more bend, a little bit more length and height, somebody in the DJ Johnson, Bryson Young right. you know, size and at 6'2", 225, does he fit that for them, or is he an inside linebacker? So, uh, in, interesting prospect. I watched some of those um, one-on-one clips that you put up. He looked athletic. He looked quick. I think he's a state wrestling champion, which I always think is a huge benefit because there's there's certain level of physicality and technique required for both sports. But interesting that a guy like that pops up. I think somebody that, obviously, you were probably aware of who he was, but you weren't aware that he was somebody that Oregon would take a look at. And, obviously, when you go into one of these camps and you get a guy like that, Kind of a cool little development to see, especially for a local player. What about wide receiver at this camp, Matt? Were there, were there, I know a couple of Oregon targets, a couple of Oregon commits were, were at one Oregon. Yeah, target. Chris Hudson, I mean, he was there, he was committed to Oregon, um, four star receiver from St. John Bosco. Uh, he was not maybe as big. Yeah, he's a smaller guy. As I was expecting him to be. I knew he was going to be the smaller end, but I didn't realize he was, I guess, that small. Uh, a lot, very similar to Josh Logano, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, but super fast. And my biggest takeaway from him was he loves to compete. Um, that camp went really long. And for the last maybe 20 minutes of the camp, so the last two hours of the camp was receivers, quarterbacks, and DBs. And, or actually almost like two and a half hours, really. Wow. Um, and they went one-on-ones with quarterbacks throwing the ball uh, to receiver versus DB for about 45 to an hour, and really long. And that last 20 minutes, it was very evident, like, DJ wasn't throwing anymore. Or, excuse me, DJ was throwing, but he was only throwing to St. John Bosco receivers. So he would wait until a St. John Bosco receiver was going to throw, and then he stepped in and would throw to those guys. But then at that point, he even got, he was like, okay, I'm done. I've thrown enough to my own guys. I'm done. I'm pulling out. You know, you you had guys at quarterback who were not going to be playing Division One, are not going to be playing FCS, are not going to be playing Division Two, and could potentially be lucky to be playing Division Three football. Um, and you can argue which one is better from a D2, D3 level. Sure. Um, but that's my, my whole point is these aren't even those caliber of quarterbacks. And yet Chris Hudson is literally taking a rep every third snap. Wow. He doesn't care who's throwing him the football. And I, I loved seeing that. You know, a guy that was just, he was there to compete. He wanted to get reps in. He was shooting for his opening invite. Uh, we'll see if he gets it. Um, but, but he, 
he was there to compete, and that was my biggest takeaway from him was just his desire to compete. For those listening, uh, the, the opening did invite five players basically on site. Yes. I mean, Kendall Melton, Lincoln Vernon, Ari Randall, Lathan Ransom, Miles Murrow, uh, Jordan Botello, and G. Scott. There are obviously numerous other players, Jay Butterfield included, Chris Hudson included, that I'm sure are, are battling for it. There's still an option, just just for listeners, there's still an opportunity for them to get an invite, correct? Yeah, they they were very adamant about explaining that as well to the, to the athletes. Uh, they have a they have the last and final stop is in Nashville this weekend. Uh, I believe that's like the 18th of May, and after that, camp is over with. They will then go back and they will watch film on every player uh, that participated in an opening regional. And then on top of that, they'll go back and they'll watch the junior film. And they have also said that the criteria to get invited to the opening finals is what you did as a junior in high school first. Right. And then second, what you did at the at the regional or regionals that you were at. And then coachability and, you know, and, and so and some other factors of, of who you are as a person um, play in there as well. So Butterfield, even though he may have had a, maybe an inconsistent day, he has a really, really good tape from uh, his junior year. Yeah. And he's, I think, the fourth-best pro-style quarterback. You know, typically the dual-threat guys, they don't make these camps. You know, a couple of them do every year, but it's it's historically – a pro-style quarterback that makes it, you know, and then with a couple sprinkled in that are dual threats. So I think Butterfield's got a good chance um, of getting one of those last invites to the Elite 11. How about any other duck targets or, or I should say duck commitments that you think? Because Chris Hudson, do you feel like that has a legitimate chance? Or does that seem far-fetched at this point? I, I wouldn't say it's probably likely, um, but he certainly will have his opportunities, I think. Um Maybe, you know, Justin Flo is a target. He's already invited, I think. Yeah. Um, Smalls could – was, was Savelle not showing up? He's banking on the fact that he showed up as a junior uh, or going into his, you know, his sophomore right, year right, right, right. Uh, as his qualifier. So I would think he makes it, you know, considering he's like the fourth or fifth best player in the country. Um, but you never know because he, he technically didn't compete. This season and one. It's interesting. Which is just, I mean, maybe it's not important to him. And, and it's, I mean, it doesn't have any indicator on his recruitment. I mean, college coaches can't go and watch. I don't think Washington State's pulling that offer. If he doesn't, <laughs> doesn't go to the Oregon's not. Oregon's not. <laughs> uh, should we move on? Anything else from the opening that you want to talk nah, about? I, Anything else just weighing on your mind there that you want to get off your, your chest? Yeah, I, well, I think we've got some stuff on the site right. that I would encourage you guys to go read. Uh, Kevin's posted some stuff. I've posted. My 10 reactions and also a recruiting notebook. We'll have a Jay Butterfield commit story up. Um, and then some throughout the next week or so, we'll have some rolling updates of interviews that we did while we were there. So uh, lots of information from the regional in Oakland uh, as the finals get closer and closer. We're almost a month away. Or we're, we're about six weeks away. Oof. Wow. Yeah. Exciting. 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 Let's, let's now get to um, our, our top five here. And we're we're gonna de- we're it's always interesting to see who are the players that have the ball in their hands the most yeah. during a season, um, which is kind of what we're doing. Yes, we're we're gonna project out who uh, will lead the team. Who are the top five all-purpose uh, players for Oregon next season? So what that means is like obviously quarterbacks. Like if you just did total yardage, 
you know, quarterbacks will always win this because they throw the ball and, you know, and, and they get to, to run the ball some as well. And so they're always ahead. But if you go all purpose, that right. eliminates passing, passing yards. Correct. And that, so how you get credit for that is kickoff returns, punt returns, um, rushing and receiving. And a couple of years ago, you know, in the last few years, in, in fact, um, you know, Tony Brooks James has been a guy that's always been in that top three, even though he really wasn't kind of the mainstay at running back just because he did kickoff returns and he did punt returns. And you get enough of those. If you get a guy that can be, you know, both, he's going to pick up a ton of yardage. Um, last year, the leader of the pack was C.J. Verdell uh, with, what was it? Thir- yeah, 1,333 yeah. yards. And then Dylan Mitchell was second with, a lo- I think, almost 1,200 or something like that. So um, let's let's run through top five. Um, my top five starts with a freshman in Micah Pittman. Mm. I think Pittman is going to be a mainstay in, in the receiving yardage. He's going to be a, you know, one of Oregon's leading receivers in that category. I think we might see some... You know, maybe some fly sweeps or, or whatnot. Maybe he works his way into being one of the kickoff return guys or, yeah. or a backup at punt return. Um, but I, I think Michael Pittman for me checks in at number five because he's gonna, he's not gonna lead the team in receptions, but. I'm thinking maybe he will. Maybe. But not in my mind. Okay. Uh, in my opinion he won't, but he'll still be one of the top targets for work. I think the, the all-purpose thing that's typical here is just we don't know who the punt return or kick return guys are, really. Sure. Um, there's not, it's not clear, so we're kind of projecting here, which is why at number five I'm going Jalen Red because I think he will continue to be involved in the offense like he was last year. He was fourth on this list a year ago. Yeah. Um, but I also think he's going to have a more expanded role in the return game. And I think I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's the team's punt returner and one of the primary kickoff return guys because we've seen him do some returns in his career. He's capable in space. He's fast. Uh, he seems to be pretty sure-handed in that way. Um, so I have him at number five. You could probably argue he could be higher on this list. I just think he's my third receiver on this list. I have two other receivers above him on this list, but I have him at number five in part because I expect he'll be involved in the return game. I want to say this first. I, I have a feeling our lists are going to be very, very similar, yeah. and we did not communicate at all of who we were picking. Okay, but is he your number four? He is my number four. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, yeah, I have Jalen Red number four. I do believe, though, he is the – I think he's the leader in the clubhouse for the punt return job. I, I, yeah, I agree. I, it's just unclear to me exactly how it's going to play out. I do think sure. I think he's going to end up being a huge part in the return game, which is why he could be higher on this list. Probably. And you hit the nail on the head by saying he's going to have a much expanded role uh, this coming season than he has the last two years. But dangerous in the fly game, dangerous mm-hmm. in the short game for receiving, and then also obviously puns and kickoffs. For me, number four, I have Travis Dye. Um, Interesting. Is it number three? Is it just Strawberry running down your list? No, nope, he's not my number three. Um, for Travis Dye, I'm, I'm thinking here. I think I think Verdell is going to have a more. Last year Verdell had a thousand yards rushing and Guy was like 250 behind him. Yeah. I think that's going to be a larger. I have Verdell having a larger involvement. I think in the offense. I think we saw over the course of the year that he is fully capable of being kind of that bell cow back. I think sure. he's going to have a pretty big year. I don't think Guy's role will be quite as involved. And really, last year we didn't see Guy all that involved in the receiving game, whereas Verdell was. So. That's kind of why I have Travis Dye here. I don't think he's a huge um, involvement in the receiving game. I think in the rushing game, he's still a second running back, but I don't think he has 750 yards like he had last year. 
my number three is my third straight receiver, Jawan Johnson. Um, I think he's gonna he's gonna go over a thousand yards receiving, and I think that's why he cracks into the top three um, because he hits the the thousand yard mark, uh, and, and maybe that's a big leap of faith. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's it's about twice what he's ever done at Penn State. Yeah, so I I think that's maybe a big leap of faith, but I think. The receiver position is completely open. Sure. They need a go-to guy, and he is someone that just physically they don't have outside of him. Uh, and so I think I think Jawan Johnson. I'm banking on the fact that Jawan Johnson's spring performance, not spring game, just spring performance, uh, is an indicator of what he's going to do during the season. My number three is Jawan Johnson. Oh. Um, I, I I think we're, on, we're, we're I think our lists are going to look very similar. I'm guessing yeah. the top two people are people we both have on our list. I'm sitting Travis Dye and CJ Vodell left on your list. And my, uh, I don't know about that. I might have Shane Lemieux. Okay, well Shane Lemieux up here with a thousand yard receiving season. You heard it first. Uh, that, that's a really hot take. Uh, I, I think with Johnson, uh, I I think it's going to be a little bit more varied in terms of the yardage here. And maybe maybe I'm making a mistake in saying that I expect Dye will have. 650 yards of, of total offense, and I think Johnson will have more because I could see it, a situation where there's no receiver over a thousand yards, but there's like three or four guys in that 500 to 700 range, and I think Johnson's going to be one of those guys. I just think it's going to be. Last year we saw Dylan Mitchell like 75 catches. I don't think anyone's going to have more than like about 45 this year. I think it's going to be much more balanced uh, across the board. I think Johnson is my second receiver in terms of yardage uh, this year, in part because I don't think he's at all a factor in the return right. game. Whereas the other person I have on the list, I think, could be. So, Travis Dye is my number two. Figured. Um, I think he will be... He was second on the team um, last season in rushing yards with 808, I believe. 739. 739. Total scrimmage was 808. Yeah, yeah total scrimmage was 808. Um, I think he takes a step in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Okay. And becomes more of a threat there. And then I also think he kind of becomes... Because he's got that breakaway speed. Mm-hmm. And you typically see a receiver or you see a running back fielding kickoff returns. He I, he, and Jalen Red, I think, are going to be Oregon's two kickoff return guys uh, during the 2019 season. So I think he's going to get some of that yardage because of uh, kickoff returns. And I, I agree with you. I think Verdell is going to have a huge year. Me too. And I think um, – he probably will get maybe a little more of the workload. I mean, Jim Mastro told me this past spring that ideally it's a two-man team, you know, and, and you lean on the one a little bit more than the other. You don't equally balance them. Um, and, you know, straight down the line, 50-50, because that's really hard to do. And some, sometimes guys get in rhythm and, you know, you, you want to keep it even, but, you know, you, right. you ride the guy that's hot. You and, you know, that's not, when you do that, that's not going to equate out to – 50-50 split. So I think I think Die maybe sees I think he, he's kind of be putting a year you know statistically what he did last year very similar rushing yards you know maybe 700 yards on the ground maybe he ups that to 800 or 850 but he's my number two. My number two is Michael Pittman. Um, I think he is the team's leading receiver. This Interesting. Year. And I said that a couple times so I'm kind of I'm sticking with it. And I also think the return thing we did see him as a guy who was returning some kicks. This is true. And so that that factored into it. I think. I don't think that's crazy at all to think that Travis Dye and Micah Pittman and maybe just Josh Delgado are kind of the three guys that could also return kicks if we're saying Jalen Red is probably kind yeah. of the go-to guy as a return guy. I don't think that's incredible at all. And I think Pittman is a good fit as a potential 
guy next to Jalen Red, or, or maybe Jalen Red isn't back for kickoffs. But I think Pittman factors into the return game a little bit. And again, I think he showed this spring he's kind of their most reliable. I know that's crazy to say for a true freshman. He only had about nine or ten practices under his belt. But I, I, my sense is he ends up being the team's leading receiver. Again, I don't think he's anywhere near 1,200 yards like Dylan Mitchell was. I think that ends up being somewhere in the 650, 700-yard range. Tackling a couple hundred yards in returns, and you're close to 1,000 yards. I think that's good enough for number two. My number one is Jalen Red. Um, I think he's Jalen Red. CJ Verdo. I was I was like, oh, of course. Jaylen, <laughs> yeah. Your number four is also your number one. <laughs> what happened there? How did I come up with Jalen Red? I don't know. Uh, no offense to Jalen. Um, CJ Verdell is my number one. Uh, he's gonna tote the rock the most. He's very good in the passing game. Yes. Um, I think that's his most underrated skill set and something I quite honestly did not expect at all no. when I, we saw 2018 play out. Um, and even though I don't think he's going to be in, in the, in the return game, he's going to get so many yards rushing the football and receiving. Uh, he's going to be the bell cow for Warren. Yeah. And I don't think this will happen, but it wouldn't be totally at far fetched given his ability in the receiving game. And, how, and I think in a more involved role in the running game if he had, like, 2,000 yards on purpose. I think that's probably... That would be crazy. That's pushing it a little bit. But I wouldn't be shocked if you look up and he has, you know, 1,500 yards rushing and, and 400, right. yards, 400 yards receiving, and he's close. Because he had 315 yards this last year. He was second on the team, uh, or second returning in the team in terms of reception, second on the team returning in yardage and touchdowns, all that. He's a big part of the passing game. And, again, I just... My instinct is he's going to run between 1,300 and 1,500 yards rushing. You throw in a couple hundred yards, maybe 400 yards in the receiving game. I think he's pretty clearly the number one guy. I think he's going to be the tops on this list probably about 300, 400 yards is, is, is kind of my prediction. I think he's going to be a huge part of what makes his offense go. Yeah. It's, now that you think about it, it's not as far-fetched. Yeah. I, I mean, I, he need he would need a big year on the ground. He would. That would be a key. But, I mean, Oregon's had guys run for – 15, 16, sure. 1,700 yards. A lot recently. And you know, knowing the fact that Oregon's going to have a couple games early on in the season where they're easily the best team on the field, not not counting Auburn, but their next two opponents in what, uh, Nevada and Portland State, is it? Or, or Montana? Montana. Yeah. Um, Portland State was last year. Nevada and, 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 Mon- and, and Montana, Oregon should – well, Blow right through those, which gives opportunities for running. Games. I think Verdell. Here's a question: Is Verdell the best pass receiving running back since Kenyon Barner? Oregon's had, I think, pretty clearly, and I think statistically, at least. I mean, Tony Exchange had some good moments in the passing yeah, game. Todd Griffin had some great moments in the passing game. DeAnthony Thomas, I guess, is, is part of that too. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I think DeAnthony is. If you, but I, I just think Verdell, Verdell is, you know, and I guess, De, I guess DeAnthony's hard because I kind of have him come combined as a running sure. back and a receiver just because of how they use him. But if, if you consider him a running back, clearly he's more valuable than C.J. Verdell. But my point is basically he's not Royce Freeman, who is largely just, you know, give him the rock and let him go kind of thing. He can be kind of a three-down back, I think, in Oregon's offense, catching the ball and running the ball. That's our list. Uh, if you disagree with it, let us know in, in the comment section of this podcast or just tweet at us. Tweet Eric. Don't, yeah, don't, don't, yeah, just don't, tweet me. Don't, don't, don't tweet Twitter. me. <laughs> Uh, remember, go to DuckTerritory.com for your Oregon football, basketball, recruiting coverage, women's basketball uh, coverage that you are looking for. We've got it all. And also, $1 for your first 30 days if you're a new member or uh, a previous member who's not VIP anymore or 
sign up for an annual subscription. Your first year is six dollars and twenty six cents a month. That's cheaper than almost you know if you if you go to Starbucks and you get something to eat and drink, you're spending more on that than your your one month subscription to DuckTerritory.com. Uh, and some drinks at Starbucks are more than six dollars and twenty six cents. Terrible. So uh, for Eric and myself, thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.